Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. We thank you for the activities we've had this weekend and ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 24, starting at verse 22. Uh, we're looking at Paul's defense before uh, Felix. Uh, the Jews... Uh, charged him with four offenses, three of which were Roman offenses, one of which was a uh, Jewish offense. Uh, basically, Paul has been challenging them, prove your case, where are the, where are the witnesses, all these things. He's, he's asking them to show, uh, obey Roman law in this trial. So we're starting at verse 22. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of, the, of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know uttermost, the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish, Jewess, he sent for Paul and and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go your way for this time. When I have convenient season, I will call for you. He hoped also that money would be given him of Paul, that he might loose him, and therefore he sent him to the, for, sent or him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portictus, Festus came to Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. All right, so here we are at the end of this chapter. The cases have been gone, and Felix decides that he's going to postpone the, the ruling. All right, he's heard from the Jews, he's heard from Paul. Uh, as it told us, he knows that no crimes have been committed, but he's wanting to get the rest of the, rest of the information. And it says... He decided he was going to wait for Lysias, the chief captain. Now remember, the chief captain had also been laid out in these charges when they said uh, this chief centurion forcibly took Paul from us. All right, so he's got some, uh, Felix is wanting to know from, you know from the captain what exactly, why did you do this? You know, why did you uh, have to take him away by force and, and what was the reason for this? Uh, again, he's not going to be in much trouble because it was uh, against Jews that he did this, but they are citizens of the realm. And so it's, you know, why did you, why did you feel that you had to do this? And the commandment, you know, Paul has basically been put under house arrest and he is set at liberty. He is free to move around the, the castle. Uh, and he's told that if anybody wants to come and talk to Paul, allow it. So we already see that Felix has got no charges that he's preferring against Paul. He's just kind of delaying time, as it says in the next verse, that uh, uh, in verse uh, 26, that he hoped to be given a bribe. Hoped that somebody would rescue Paul, you know, be willing to pay for Paul to be released. And he's all set to release Paul. He's just kind of delaying, delaying the action. And... And it's kind of interesting, it says, after certain days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, a Jewess, uh, to hear. And so Felix comes back out there, and this time he brings his wife to listen to Paul. 
and wanted to hear, and literally here it says, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. So this next visit that he makes is not to hold him, hold him account for all the uh, bad things that have been going on, but he says, I want to hear about this Jesus whom you've been accused of preaching. What is it that, in one sense he's saying, what makes it so that you're willing to stand in front of me? What is it that makes you willing to stand up against these Jews that you are part of? And he says, I want to hear more about this truth. And this is something that we hope is part of our testimony. Do people, when they look at our life, want to know why we are different? What is it that we have that they don't have? And one of the things I said this morning, I love the fact that we as Christians have answers to all the issues of the world. Now, the world does not like to hear our answers. They don't like to to know that we have answers, but we have answers. And this is where Felix is. He brings Drusilla with him and says, I want to hear more about what it is you believe. Because remember, Paul believes very strange things as far as he's concerned. Paul believes there's one God. He's a Roman. He believes there's many gods. You know, he believes that you can know that you're going to be able to please the God and go to, go to heaven. And he doesn't have any clue of that type of attitude. And so Paul knows all of these things and has answers for Felix. And it seems that Felix is somebody who wants to know. He wants to know the answers. And it's so interesting, if you've ever witnessed to somebody and you ask them, you know, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? And they'll tell you all about how good they are and how, how they hope they've done enough good things. That's our opportunity to share. And this is what Paul's going to do. And in verse 25, it says, as he reasoned or debated or argued with him of righteousness. <laughs> and this is something that's very important. A condition acceptable to God, righteous. This is something that without Jesus Christ, we can't be sure of our standing with God is, is righteous because we aren't. No matter what we do, uh, do that seems to be good, God says you're still not righteous in his presence. And then he said, and temperance, self-control, the mastering of passions. Now this is something that is very hard, but this is what God calls us to do. Have our, our passions under control. Does that mean that we'll never have a problem? I wish uh, that was true, but it's not. But temperance, being able to control your anger, your, your bitterness, your, your lack of caring for people, all these things that are part of temperance. We usually think of temperance toward alcohol and drugs. Somebody who doesn't use alcohol and drugs, they're able to control their life. So Paul's telling them about righteousness, temperance, and then that there is a judgment to come. Now, this is the one that gets most people because they like to think, well, two extremes, either there is no judgment or I hope I'm okay when it's time for judgment. And Paul is telling them, if you're not right before God, you're going to stand in eternal punishment. And this is the one thing that people have trouble with. How can a loving, righteous God send people to an eternal punishment. 
Well, when you think about it, he has paid the debt for us, and if we're going to reject it, it actually is something that is very correct. We've rejected life, so he says, fine, you've rejected life, you chose death, now you get to experience that death for eternity. And this is the hard thing. Most cults will not allow for, for an eternal punishment. You know, they believe in annihilation. You've rejected God, then you cease to exist. That's not what God teaches in the scriptures. Nowhere does he teach that in the scriptures that there is uh, annihilation. We are born, and from that point on, we have an eternal existence. Either eternal life with God or an eternal punishment and death without God. And this is the two choices that lie before us. And here Paul is telling all of this to Felix and to uh, Drusilla. And it says that Felix trembled. He was in great fear as Paul was talking. I would say that he was under conviction he knew what he needed to do, and his answer to Paul was, go away. When it's convenient, I will call for you again. So his answer was, uh, Paul, I'm, I'm, I don't want to hear anymore. And if you've ever witnessed to people, there's many times when you'll get this answer. I just don't want to hear anymore. Leave me alone. And in Paul's case, he didn't have an option. You know, he said, go, the governor says, go away, you go away. For us, we do need to respect people's attitude when they've had enough and they're not willing to, to listen. We need to back off and just let the Holy Spirit continue his conversation with them. Because we can't win somebody to Christ anyway. All we can do is lead them to the water and let them drink. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit that convicts and changes their heart attitude. And our job is just to lead them. Tell them the truth. Let them make their decision. And here, Felix says, go away. <laughs> go away, I've heard enough. And this is the hard part. And this is the sad part when you're witnessing somebody and you know they are really close to making a decision for God and they turn away and reject him. And unfortunately, it can be really hard when it's their last chance and the next thing you know, they're dead. And all you can do is say, why did you turn away? Why did you give, not give in? And, you know, there's so many people that know they're a sinner. They even know that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. But they won't believe that he did it for them. And this is where it becomes critical. Are we going to personalize Jesus' death that he died for me? He died for for you. And this is where it becomes important. This is where certain denominations come really close to bringing people to God, but they don't personalize it. They, they'll teach that Jesus is the Son of God, maybe. They'll teach that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, but they won't say he died for your sins and make it personal. And this is where it becomes very critical. Do we recognize that he died for my sin? And first, I've got to believe that I'm a sinner. And I've met many people that just won't buy into the fact that they're even a sinner. Well, I'm basically a good person. I do, I do mostly good things. 
And you're going, no, God says you're a sinner. And unless you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need the sacrifice of Jesus, you'll be like Felix. Go away. I've heard enough. I, I'm not ready for it. Uh, then it says in verse 26, he hoped for money that he should be given to, for, of him for Paul, that he might send him away and loose him. And then it says, and he sent for him the more often and communed with him. So Felix is going to spend a lot of time with Paul. He is an interested individual for salvation. We are never told whether he gets saved or not. All we know is that he talked with Paul a lot about Jesus. And then we find out that he's there for two years. But after two years, Festus came to Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So here is the trading of the governorship. Felix is going to go someplace else, and I don't know where he went to. I didn't look it up. Uh, Felix is going to go off, and Festus is taking his place. And to keep the Jews happy, and because nobody paid him the bribe that he was hoping for, he left Paul a prisoner in Caesarea for two years. Now, this is quite, a, quite an event. You know, Paul is sitting in prison with no charges against him, uh, no judgment. The, the judge has not made a judgment against him or for him, either way. And he's a prisoner for two years, waiting for the finishing off of his trial. Uh, it took two years, but Felix, he didn't get the bribe he wanted, and he didn't want to offend the Jews, so he didn't release Paul without the bribe. At least with the bribe, he could have said, well, I got something for, out of this deal. And then, but by releasing him, he would have angered the Jewish leaders and maybe stirred up another riot. So on one side, he's, he's, he's a politician. Okay? He is the governor. So he's a politician. He's doing what's best for him. There's no, if he sends Paul away, there may be a riot, and nobody was willing to pay the, the bribe to him for him to take his chances of a riot. So he just kept Paul around, and, and it appears that he liked talking to him. You know, it said he communed with him more, the more often, so every opportunity he got, he called Paul and talked with him. Now, I don't know, did that mean that he got saved somewhere along the line and Paul was teaching him, or he just wanted to listen to the gospel message so that he could, you know, get hard-hearted toward it. And this is the sad thing. There are people that come to churches, listen to the gospel message, know they're a sinner, know that they have to accept Jesus and refuse to accept him. And the more they refuse him, the harder their heart gets and to the place where they won't listen anymore. They just hear this wonderful story. It's the, the people who grow up in a church. They've heard the stories of the Bible so much, they can tell you the stories but they don't mean anything to them. They're just stories. They're just information. And they might even think they know God in the process of knowing all these stories. And this is where we are with Felix. And Festus comes along. All right, chapter 25, verse 1. And when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the, chiefs of the, Jew, uh, the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send him to Jerusalem, lying in wait to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself would go depart there shortly there 
And let them, therefore, he said, which is among you able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them for more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next morning, sitting on the, on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which were come down from Jerusalem stood around about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended any of thing at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Will you go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. If I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die, but if there be None of these things whereof these accuse me. No man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Have you appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar you shall go. All right. So we have a new leader coming in. This is Festus. Festus decides he's going to leave Caesarea and go up to Jerusalem. Remember, we've talked about this. Anytime you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. Anytime you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going down. So Festus goes up to Jerusalem, and immediately the high priest and the elders and the Sanhedrin start accusing Paul. Same old tired story that we're going to hear from this. And they, they go in there, and they lay all kinds of crimes before him, and they desire of Festus, send this man down to us so that we can judge him in Jerusalem. What is their hope? Their hope is that they're going to have a new judge, a new leader that doesn't know what's going on. Maybe this judge will be man, able to be manipulated. Uh, maybe he just doesn't know what's going on. Now we can get him down here and, and we'll kill Paul in the process. Uh, he doesn't know the charges. He doesn't know the history. He doesn't know the, the plot that was against Paul. He doesn't know the court, the case that has already been held against him. So maybe we can trick him into sending Paul our way. And they desired favor of him. You know, would you please send Paul down here so he can stand trial here in Jerusalem and be accused of our crimes. And then it says in the last part of that verse, lying in wait, ready to kill him. So these guys who have made a promise not to, not to eat until Paul was, was uh, dead, I don't think these are the same guys or they didn't keep their vow. But there's still people out there saying, we're going to wait for Paul. We're going to kill him. If Festus sends him from Caesarea to Jerusalem, we'll kill him in the way. And there would be plausible deniability. They would say those are renegades. They were bandits uh, that killed this man. It was just a random attack on a Roman guard. <laughs> now, that was, you know, you've got to think about that. There were no Roman, there weren't any random attacks on the Roman guards. All right. But that was going to be their defense. These ruffians, these thieves, uh, attacked, attacked the Roman, Roman uh, column and killed this man, and it was a total accident. So this is, this is their plan. How deceived people are when they're not following God and they're following their own way. 
they're looking and they're going to be willing to attack a Roman guard to escort Paul back. Now, it's quite feasible his guard would have only been, you know, four or eight men, especially with Festus not knowing what the history of this was. Remember when the centurion sent him to Caesarea? He sent him with 300 cavalry and another 100 or 200 infantrymen. And so they're hoping that Festus is not going to know all of this history about how important him, you know, Paul has been protected up to this point. And so they're going into him and saying, uh, we have a big problem, Festus. You're the new king. You're, you're, you're the new governor. Uh, we would like you to send this man down to us so we can judge him. Uh, you know, he's a wicked, terrible man. You don't know him. You know, uh, you don't know him like we know him. And verse 4 says, But Festus answered them and said, Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he would be returning shortly. Now, I don't know. I don't know what he had been told about Paul up to this point. Maybe he was a very wise man and he saw through what was being said and what was being done. You don't rise up to the rank of governor without being able to see through some of the deceptions coming your way. And so the, here's a bunch of politicians lying to him. I think he saw the lie and said, no, I'll, I will keep Paul right where he's at. If you've really got a problem, I'm headed back down there in a couple days. You come and stand before me. Now, this is twice they've been told, come before the governor in Caesarea. All right. Uh, and then it says, you know, let them, therefore, he said, which are able among you, come down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And so it's a, basically, if any of you are able to give a good defense or, or accusation or prosecution, I, I, you are invited to come down and see me in Caesarea. All right? Uh, I think he saw through them. I, don't think, you know, I think he saw through their, their desires and everything. He may not have known that they were planning to kill Paul on the way, but he saw the duplicity in them uh, and knew what was going to happen or knew, knew that something would happen. Uh, these guys have been waiting for a long time to get after Paul. Uh, more you know, two years. Two years they've been waiting to get after Paul. Uh, and we do know Paul for writing letters from this period of time. He's ministering, he's sending people out. He's still a leader of Christianity at this point. And so he says, if anybody is able to, come on down and make your accusations. And when he had tarried in Jerusalem for more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. So this is apparently his first time to actually talk with Paul. Felix probably told him there's a prisoner in here. He's been accused of the Jews and whatever he told him about him. Uh, and this is the first time Felix is going to go, get to talk to him uh, as he goes up. And Paul is brought in, and when he was come, in verse 7, the Jews which were come down from Jerusalem stood around about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. We don't know what, what the complaints they decided to charge him with. Uh, we know the first one, he was considered a pestilent person, a person who brings about problems and and stirs up cities, that he was stirring up sedition, that he was, uh, what was the other one that we, the other charge that he, that he, uh, well, was a leader of the, of the way, the, this Jewish sect. And then they said, oh, and by the way, he 
polluted the Jewish temple. Uh, so, nope, none of them were true. Now, the one thing, well, the one thing that was true is that he was one of the leaders of the Christianity. But there's nothing, there's nothing against the law for that to be the case. He spoke the, the truth of God and people, and people raised problems for him for speaking the truth. It wasn't him and it wasn't even his words that brought the trouble so much as people didn't like what he said. And that's kind of where we are in our world today. People do not like what we say as a Christian and sometimes cause problems for us because they just don't like what we say. Not because it's against the law or anything else. They just don't like the fact that we say that there is truth, there is righteousness, there is holiness, uh, there is God having truth. So you might say that they did, but it was not of a level that would stand up in court. All right? Uh, and that's what he found. He says they could not prove it. They could not bring witnesses against Paul. And remember, in the previous chapter, we saw the whole judicial system of Rome. Paul had the right to stand before his accusers. They had to prove the case to prove, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and they weren't able to do any of that. And Paul says, well, you, they do have one thing right. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he goes, on that one, I'll admit that I'm a follower of Jesus, but, and he probably pointed out, but that's not against the law, the Roman law. All right? And so here they are laying lots of charges against him, and it says grievous charges. So they're trying to say that he's, you know, what they're probably coming in and saying, you know, well, he's trying to overthrow Caesar. He's following this king and trying to say he's king. Okay, basically the same thing the Jews said against Jesus, that he's trying to become king and overthrow Caesar. So there's all kinds of charges that they're making, and some of them are pretty far-fetched and going to, and as it says, grievous. Uh, they're going, you know, this man is terror, you know, it's an absolute terror. You don't want him to be alive, Festus. And Festus, of course, does not know Paul, but he's seeing through their arguments. Paul is defending himself. And Paul, in verse 8, says, Neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything. Now, I'm sure Paul's words were much more uh, expansive than what we had, but basically this statement says, Paul said, I am innocent. I am innocent of all the charges they are making against me, and uh, so this is really not a court battle going on at this point. Even though Festus is sitting on the judgment seat, there doesn't appear to be a court battle going on as it was under Felix. There's just a whole bunch of charges and counter, counter charges and, and defenses going on. And we look at verse 9, it says, But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure answered Paul and said, will you go to Jerusalem and there be judged of those things before me? He goes, Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem so that they can make these charges for you? Now, remember, when Paul was there before Felix this time, he was struck for doing what he was allowed to do in a Jewish court. He was a, basically a kangaroo court. And here is Festus saying, will you go with me to Jerusalem so that we can go to their court I'm going with you, but are you willing to go with me? Paul very wisely is going to say no. You know, he's been in front of the kangaroo court once already, 
he's not wanting to go in front of the kangaroo court again. And so he's, his answer says in verse 10, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. All right. Basically, he's going back to, I'm a Roman citizen. I stand before Roman court, and this is where I have done. He goes, to the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. All right. Paul was not a, a, wall, you know, a wallflower. He was very bold. Uh, Festus, you know I've done nothing wrong, so why are you even wanting me to go to Jerusalem? You know that I haven't done anything wrong. And he goes, if I have offended, I'm, will, I'm willing. And, you know, he says, if I am offender or have committed any wrong, I refuse not to die. In other words, I'm willing to die. If you find, if you find me guilty of capital punishment, of a capital crime, I am ready to die. And he says, but if there be none of these things for which they accuse me to, to be delivered unto me, I appeal to Caesar. So he is going, all right. He could have been going, Felix wasn't willing, wasn't a man enough to make a judgment. Felix, you're not man enough to make a judgment. I want to go see Caesar. I appeal to Caesar, the next court up. Take me to the court up. Maybe I'll find somebody with enough courage to make a decision. Now, this is quite a statement when you really break it down. Because he's calling them chickens. And they have been. They have been chickens, but they are in a neighborhood. And we've, I'm not going to belittle them. The Jewish people were a hard people to rule over. They had voluntarily given in to Caesar for certain rights that they would be able to be protected for. And they were very rebellious. All through time since... Well, since all the way back to Abraham's time, but all, you know, definitely through Moses' time when they were rebellious every time they turned around, they have not changed. They were not changed from it. They were still very rebellious. And all the Romans knew that. They knew that they could bring them under control, but they had to lop heads off to do so. And Caesar was not liking his taxable citizens being killed. And yet that was the only way they could really get the Jews under control. And so... Festus is in that same position like, okay, what do I do with these people? I'm trying to make them happy even though there's no Roman laws being broken. And I really don't want to sacrifice a Roman citizen. And remember, we talked about this. Paul is a born Roman citizen. He is high up on the food chain for the, for the governmental positions. The Jews are citizens only because they surrendered their, their, their freedom to Rome they're not born citizens. Paul is a born citizen, so he's above them. And, they're, and he's trying to hold this really fine edge. How can I make all these rebellious people who are ready to riot happy and not lose a Roman citizen? You know, he's not in a very good, good position. And Paul says, okay, I'm going to save you. Festus, I'm going to save you. I want to go see Caesar. Uh, he's, he's, what is he doing in our parlance? He's, he's appealing to the Supreme Court. Send me to the top. I'm going to the top court. You know, Festus, you can't make a decision. I'm going, I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I want to stand in front of the Supreme Court and appeal my case. So this is where it's going. And then Festus says to him in verse 12, 
After he talked to people, he goes, okay, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, I will send you. Now, this is his way out, okay? This is, his, this is Festus's way out. He no longer has to make a decision. Paulus said, I want to go see Caesar. He says, fine, I will send you to Caesar. Now all he's going to do is make sure Paul makes it to Caesar. All right, and this is going to be his next big issue uh, as to how to get him to, to it. Verse 13. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's case unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom, when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders and the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that which he is accused, have the accusers face to face, and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Wherefore, when they were come here without any delay on the morrow, I sat up in the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth against whom when, they had, when the accusers brought up, they brought none accusations of such things as I supposed, but certain questions against him of their own superstitions and one Jesus which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted the manner of the questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved unto the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. All right. So now we have a visit, a royal visit, coming down to come to the governor. We have King Agrippa and his wife Bernice. They were coming to give a, a royal call to the new governor. All right. Uh, they're the king and queen of this local area. And it's hard to figure out whether the king and queen outrank the governor or the governor outranked them because there's two different law, law sets here. The governor was the governor in Rome's place, but the king and queen were figurehead leaders and on paper had more authority. But this is just one of those calls that they're coming down to make a royal visit. All right. And so Festus goes and he goes, well, you know what? I have a little bit of a problem here, King Agrippa. I need some advice. Uh, and he goes, there was a certain man left in bonds by Felix. All right. In other words, you know, Felix, the guy that was before me, left his problem here in, the, in, the, in, in jail for me to have to deal with. Uh, he's being a little more uh, political on it. But that's really what he's saying. Uh, I'm having to deal with Felix's problem. I need some advice. All right. um, and he says, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me desiring to have judgment against him. He goes, okay, I went to Jerusalem. These guys made all kinds of accusations against him. And he says, so I commanded them to come up here and talk to me, you know, to appear before the court. And I love this one. Uh, you know, he says, I answered them, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver anyone to die before he, the accused is able to face his accusers. All right. Now, the funny thing about this is this is the same law that, the, that God put in place for the Jews as well. You are not to be condemned without two witnesses standing before you, agreeing completely in their testimony to be able to execute somebody. 
So this should not have been a very hard thing for the, the high priest and everything to do. They couldn't do it with Jesus. They couldn't do it elsewhere. You know, they just, for some reason, could not get people to say the same thing that they needed them to say. And so he's going, I brought them here to answer, and that the accused has license to answer for themselves. So the, he goes, and the accused, you know, have him, have him stand before his accusers and be able to defend himself. And that's the way the Jewish jurisprudence worked. It's the way our, Jewish, uh, our jurisprudence works. You face your accusers. You're able to give defense. Uh, and he says, so I did all that. And then he goes in verse 7 with his complaint. Therefore, when they were come here without any delay on the morrow, I sat in judgment and commandment and commanded the man be brought forth. Again, 18, against whom they, the, the, when the accuser stood, they brought no accusations for such things as I supposed. All right. In Jerusalem, they made all kinds of accusations against Paul. He gets them in Caesarea, and they don't give him the same accusations. All right. Again, we're very similar to Jesus' story. Jesus was brought before the high priest, and his crime was blasphemy. He's brought before Pilate, and the account is sedition. This man claims to be a king, and he's trying to get people to go against, against Caesar. All right? They're doing the same thing against Paul. We know that you don't care about our, you know, we, we're calling him a blasphemer. We're calling him a, a polluter of the temple. We're calling him a troublemaker for Judaism. But we know that those charges aren't going to stand in front of the Roman government. So now they come up with new charges, and now Festus is starting to see the duplicity in a very strong way. He goes, they brought charges, and I have no idea where these charges came from. They charged him one thing in Jerusalem that they wanted me to bring him in front of, and now they've given him a whole other set of charges. And, you know, and he says, they, their charges and the questions against him were of their own superstitions. Read religion instead of superstition. All right, Jewish laws that he had violated, and that he, um, and then he goes, and they had problems with this one Jesus which was dead, who Paul said was alive. Now this one has to sound strange to him. He knows the official record is that Jesus is dead. All right, it's not been that long ago. He's probably looked this one up. Who is this Jesus they're talking about? He's reading the, the reports from Pontius Pilate who had him crucified. You know, he reads about the spear being driven in his side. And then he's going, you know, well, they, we know that he's dead, but yet Paul says he's alive. And this is going to confuse him, uh, this whole problem. And then he says, and, I, and because I doubted of such, the manner of such questions, I asked him if he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. So he goes, well, here's the answer I thought I would give. We'd go to Jerusalem and let him be tried according to their religious rules. All right? Paul's already been there, done that. He knows, he knows the results of going in front of, of the high priest. He knows that he's going to be guilty. His nephew had told him about the plot to kill him. Uh, so he knows that they're not to be trusted you know, everything about him, he goes, I'm not going to Jerusalem. That is a death sentence for me to go to Jerusalem. And, uh, and he says, so that was my, that was all that I did. Okay, any questions so far? All right, verse 22. 
Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would also hear this man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. And on the morrow, Agrippa came and Bernice with great pomp and was entered into the place of hearing with with the chief captain and the principal men of the city. Festus commanded Paul to be brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, you see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and that he himself has appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore I have brought him forth unto you, and especially before you, O King Agrippa, that after examination has been made, that I might have somewhat to write. And it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not whereof to signify the crimes laid out against him. Uh, no, he's a, he's a Gentile that's been put in charge of that area by Rome. He's, yeah, he's from the Middle Eastern area, most likely. He's not Roman. Uh, all right. So here we go with in, the, in this section. It says in verse 22, Agrippa said to Festus, I want to hear him. I want to hear this guy straight up. Now, he has probably heard of Paul. Paul is fairly famous. He's been all through the area. He stirred up trouble. He's well known. He started churches. So even if you're not a Christian, you know who Paul is. Uh, and, you know, we think about the situation reports that our government gets. They're not new. Okay? They're not new. He would have been hearing all about this area just to the north of him because trouble might come to him from that area. So he's going to hear about all the troublemakers, all the problems. So he's going to have reports coming to him of what's going on up there. So he hears about this Paul. He wants to hear from Paul directly. And I love this. And on the morrow, Agrippa, Agrippa was come and Bernice with great pomp. Great pomp and ceremony, trumpets and soldiers. Um, they had a ceremony. The king was coming to Caesarea. The king was coming to the court. And so there would have been a parade. There would have been an honor. There would have been all kinds of uh, acrobatics and, and show and probably a great feast. And all the, the, the top dogs of Caesarea are going to be there. Uh, this is a big deal. Paul is going to have quite an audience in front of him because the king is there, the queen is there, and they have a great big ceremony, and all the chief captains, all the principal men of the city are are there, and Paul is brought before them. Huge activity going on in all of this. And then it says, And Festus said to King Agrippa, All the men which are here present with us see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and here also, crying that he ought not live any longer. All right? So he's laying out what was going on. The Jews don't like this guy. (laughs) Not only do they not like him, they want him dead. And that's his, and verse 25, he goes, But when I found that he has committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself has appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. Those, all right, I didn't find any charges against him, but he, is a, he has a, appealed to go to Augustus. 
Now at this time, Augustus is the Caesar. When Paul finally gets to Rome, he's going to stand before Nero. Nero hates Christianity. Uh, Nero blames Christians for burning down Rome when he was the one that burnt down Rome because he wanted to rebuild Rome, so he set a fire to burn down Rome. And when the people weren't happy that he started the fire, he pointed to the Christians. So he's going to try to make a scapegoat out of Paul later on, and he's the one that's going to execute Paul uh, for being a Christian. But he note there, he says, I did not find anything to be able to accuse him of. And then verse 26, Of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. In other words, I'm going to be sending him to Augustus, but I have no charges to write in the letter that introduces it to him. All right, That would be like us going to the Supreme Court to hear a case and saying, oh, by the way, judges, we don't have any crimes against this person. They're just coming before you to be heard. No charges, no crimes, there's no, there's no order of crimes against him. We're just, they wanted to come see you, so we're sending him to you. Uh, Paul is in a unique place, and he kind of hurt himself by making his appeal to, to Augustus. Because they're all saying, we would have let you go. You would have been free if you had not appealed your case. Um, so then in the second half of verse 26 is, Wherefore I brought him before you, and especially before you, O King Agrippa, after examination, that I might have something to write. In other words, Agrippa, I sure hope that you <laughs> can give me some charges to write down in this letter to Caesar as to why we're sending this guy to him. Because he's going to look like a fool. Uh, uh, Augustus, here, here's a man that is appealed to you, and we have no charges for you to be judging, but we're just sending him to you. Uh, at this point, Augustus would probably look down and say, what is wrong with you guys? You know, why are you even thinking about sending somebody to me with no charges? So Agrippa, Festus are going to, are really not going to look very good when they send Paul to Rome for judgment with no charges. Uh, and they know that. Now, they're going to claim that he, he asked to go before you and, you know, and they're going to say, well, you know, Augustus, that as soon as he asked to see you, our hands were bound but there's still going to be, there were no charges to be defending against. Big problem here, uh, you know, as we, we seem to do this. And verse 20 says, And it seemed good to me, uh, for it seems good to me, unreasonable to send a prisoner and not signify the crimes laid against him. In other words, he's telling Agrippa and all the people and going, it doesn't make sense to me. It seems very unreasonable that I'm going to send him to the high court of the land with no charges against him. Well, not, not even no evidence. No charges. There, there's not even a crime that they're sending up with them. There's no list of, of charges against him. When you go to court, you're supposed to have, you know, this is what he's done. You know, he stole from this person. He, he killed this person. He kidnapped, you know. The charges should be written out. And he's saying, I don't know what to do. It just seems unreasonable that I'm going to send him to Caesar and I don't have any list of charges against him. Because he can't list, uh, was found in the Jewish temple and accused of profaning the temple. Uh, you know, accused of sedition, but no, no, accus you know, no, no testimony against him. Uh, you know, all these things that they're charging him, 
know, there's one charge that they can make. Uh, he's, a, he's a leader in the Jewish, the, the Jewish uh, sect that follows the Nazarene. Not against the law, and not a capital punishment, even if it was against the law at this point in time. So that is the only charge that he can write down on a piece of paper saying he's, the, he's a, a, one of the leaders of, the, of a Jewish sect that the Jews don't like. Uh, so here is his dilemma. You know, he has been trying to please the Jews. Paul says, fine, if you're going to be such a coward that you cannot make a decision, I appeal to Caesar. I think Caesar might at least have some courage to hear something at the very least. I get to preach to Caesar, which is what I wanted to do all along. All right? And he's, he's put it in nice flowery language. Paul, Paul is not an idiot either. You don't call the king and the, and the judge a coward. But he does. You know, he does basically call them a coward. He's going, you're not making a decision. I, I appeal to Caesar. I, wanna, I want somebody who can make a decision that's not worried about pleasing somebody else. And this is what happens when you stand before politicians. They got to look good to the majority. And they, they needed, them, they needed them to look good to the, to the whole people of Jews. Even though Paul was not guilty of anything in Roman law, they're making political decisions and Paul calls them on it. Paul says, okay, you want to be just a politician? You be a politician. You're being cowardly. I want to go see, I want to go see Caesar. And he binds his hands in that. Once he's, once he's asked to see Caesar, he's bound their hands. They cannot just say, okay, you're innocent, go. He is called on Caesar. Now he's got to go before Caesar. And this is what we're going to see when he defends himself before Agrippa, which will be the next chapter. There's a whole lot of section here when we start talking about Paul defending himself before these leaders. And so next week we will look at the defense against against toward Agrippa. Uh, but Paul is very bold. He is, he is in their face. He knows his rights as a Roman citizen and he's going to hold their feet to the fire about his rights. And every time they start to say, well, we're not going to obey your, uh, give you your rights, he comes up to them and says, uh, yes, we're going we're to keep my rights. And we're finding all of these battles, even in America. It's so funny reading this because these are exactly what's going on in America right now. We've got so many laws that are coming out against Christians, against our rights, and we then have to go to court and spend two, three, four, five, six years getting to the Supreme Court to prove that we have the right to, keep, to have our rights. Paul's already been arrested for two years, and he still hasn't had his rights protected. And he's saying, I want my rights protected. I want the answer to what is going on. And he says, I, you are going to do what you're supposed to do. And this is where we need to stand on the rights as we come forward. And most of what we're going to be accused over the next four or five years are all going to go to court. Unfortunately, who knows what the decisions of the courts will be, but we will go to court because most of what's coming down the pike is unconstitutional. Paul is saying the same thing. You're wanting to not follow the rules. You're not following. They didn't really have a constitution, but they had, a, they had all kinds of laws and rules and, and regulation. And Paul's saying, you're not following the laws and the rules. I want to go to the next level. We need to be ready and willing to say, I want to stand for my rights as a citizen of the United States. Now, 
We also know that the, there will be punishments for those during those times. Paul's in prison for two years. We may find ourselves in prison while we're fighting for our rights. We may end up losing jobs because we're fighting for our rights. There's all kinds of things that are going to happen because of this fight, but we're at the end days. You know, we need to be ready to face all that what's coming on and going to happen. And so Paul is standing up for it. He says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I want what is my protected rights. And if you guys aren't uh, brave enough to give me my rights, we're going to call you on it and say, I want the next level. We need to be ready. We need to be ready because it's going to be a battle. Now, I think that poor cake direct, uh, guy in uh, Colorado, he's being sued again. Being sued again, this time for not making a, jan a celebration of a transgender celebration cake. Uh, so he's being sued again. And Colorado is accepting the charge again. They have not learned their lesson after having been slapped down two times. His case will go before the Supreme Court, but the poor guy is, is spending more time in court than he is being able to run his business. And he's not the only one, but he's one of the high-profile ones that are being attacked over and over and over again. And we've got laws right now standing you know, before the uh, Senate that if they get passed, it'll be against the law for all practical purposes to be a Bible-believing Christian. Now, we technically won't be against the law to be a Christian, but if we say anything that the Bible says about any sin, then we will be against the law and subject to arrest and or fines. We need to be ready. I believe these laws are going to be passed sooner, sooner or later, and it's going to be against the law for us to be able to teach what God says about sin. Eh, maybe, maybe not. You, you never know. We don't know. We don't know on that. The advantage of going after small, small targets is they're, they're not as easily uh, set to defend themselves. So this is going to be pretty widespread. It's going to be pretty widespread everywhere. Because there are troublemakers in every town, in every hamlet that will make trouble. And we do know that there are people here in, in Chloride that would make trouble if certain things were said and done. You know, because I know there are a lot of people that don't come to this church because I say that fornication is a sin and that adultery is a sin and that homosexuality is a sin. There are many people that don't come into this church. So if these laws get passed, they can now come back and hear me say it and, and bring up uh, governmental charges against it. Probably. So we need to be prepared. Our world is changing and it's changing fast. Paul's world was changing and changing fast. It's not going to be much further before Christianity is against the law in the Roman Empire and people are going to be killed. All right? Nero is going to start a great persecution against the Christian, Christians and he's the one that's going to be the, the Caesar that Paul ends up standing in front of, is Nero. And so we want to just be aware, be ready. Be ready for the problems that are coming our way. Be ready to suffer for Christ, just as he said we were going to anyway. And so this is where we're going to drop off. We're going to see Paul's defense next week.
Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, help us to be ready to stand for you. Fill us with your spirit. Give us boldness to stand for you and to, to follow you and no matter what the cost will be. And we just thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.